Our New Testament reading today is coming from Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. I invite you to follow along in your pew Bible or listen to the word as is read aloud. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, I have to confess, I have to be honest, I'm your preacher, so I have to be honest sometimes and admit my sins, and so I have one that I need to profess to everybody. Last Sunday, I went out of town and came back in town. Plenty of time to probably watch the Super Bowl, but I didn't watch the Super Bowl, y'all. That was kind of the first Super Bowl that I didn't really sit down and watch part of it at least, but I didn't watch the Super Bowl, you know? And so part of me felt like, you know, Monday morning, I'm going to wake up and feel guilty and feel different. But you know what? I woke up Monday morning and I was just fine, you know? Life went on, and I didn't watch the Super Bowl, and it was okay. You know, normally we'll have one of somebody from the Manning family I'd like to watch, or a team that's kind of close to Mississippi. You know, we, we're a college state. We don't have any professional football people, but normally I try to pick a team and root for them. Didn't do it, but you know what? It's okay. But a lot of us watch the Super Bowl not just for the game, because sometimes the game's a wash. It's a blowout. This one was not, though. It came out to be a really close one that I did not watch. But uh, a lot of times we watch it because of the commercials, right? And so the commercials are a lot of times get a lot of hype. And Monday morning when you watch the news and all that, they they talk about the game. But a lot of times they talk about the memorable commercials that were put out there. The millions of dollars just for 30 seconds worth of advertising space, okay? And so what I did was on Monday morning I listened to podcasts. And I was listening to my normal lineup of podcasts and You know, they were talking about the games, and they were talking about the commercials, but there was one set of commercials. There were two of them that really caught my attention that they were talking about, and I said, ooh, I need to go back and go online, see if I can find those, and and watch those commercials that were getting a lot of buzz. And the two commercials that, that caught my ear, of course, dealt with Jesus, okay? There's two commercials out there about Jesus, Part of a larger campaign called He Gets Us, okay? That was the organization that put out these two 30-second commercials, okay? One was about compassion, inviting folks to the dinner party, and the other one was controlling the outrage, you know, turning the other cheek. And so those were the two commercials about Jesus on this He Gets Us campaign. And so I watched them, and I was like, okay, that's kind of crafty. You know, they made it kind of modern to get people to see Jesus in today's, you know, context. And so it was neat. But there was a lot of talk, though, on these podcasts and newscasts about, you know, was that a good use of resources? Was that a, was that a proper thing to do? Did it, 
did it reach the audience that it was trying to reach? Was it effective? Okay. And yes, they spent about $20 million on two 30-second commercials for the Super Bowl. And so how do you measure that, and was it successful or not? You know, uh, The Super Bowl had 113 million people watch it, so roughly 113 million people saw this idea of Jesus that was put out there, you know. But, you know, could you have done more with the $20 million than two 30-second commercials, you know? There's an interesting story in the Bible where there was a, a lady who anointed Jesus with some very expensive perfume in his final moments of life, and Judas, the money guy out of the 12 disciples, said, you know, that was a waste of money. We could have sold that perfume and done a lot of good with it, but Jesus rebuked him and said, no, she's, her, her spirit is right. She's in the right moment here. So sometimes it may be worth to spend all that money for something that's just a, what seems like a small act on the surface. But that got a lot of buzz, that he gets us commercials. And, you know, so naturally I started thinking about this, and I was like, well, you know, after I watched them, I said, okay, this could be good. But I did have a couple of things that kind of stood out to me as well when I looked at it. Part of the He Gets Us campaign, what I think they're trying to achieve is that, you know, Jesus understands our, our human nature because he was part divine and part human. He lived in human form. And so he kind of gets us on certain levels, you know. He understands us, trying to make them relatable and all of that. But the thing that I kind of get hung up on is that these ad campaigns are very self-focused, you know. Jesus gets me. He understands me. It's very individualized. And I think there's a bigger picture out there than just the individual. You know, there's more to it than, than Jesus gets me. We um, a lot of times get so focused on ourselves that we lose the bigger picture. We lose the bigger picture out there. Um, Rick Warren, many of us have read his books, a famous book, Purpose and Driven Life. I like kind of what he put out there at the beginning of his book which I think is kind of where this ad campaign missed the mark. And he uses the Second Corinthians, Paul's other letter to the Corinthians, fourth chapter, fifth verse is kind of like how he starts out his book, Purpose Driven Life. This is the passage. It says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. So the opening of his book is mainly saying, and he says it out there, it's not about you. It's not about you. You know, and that may kind of cut to your core a little bit because some of us think we're special. But it's not always about us. It's about the larger picture. It's about the world out there that needs Jesus. You know, I think the world kind of knows who Jesus is. And the world likes Jesus. But what the world doesn't like, those on the outside, sometimes they don't like the followers of Jesus. So we've got some things that we have to look at and some things to see what we're doing that we need to do differently. And so this passage here that Paul talks about I think is very appropriate. I think it highlights that yet while we're one body in Christ, there are many members to this body of Christ. There is some diversity within the body of Christ and that was part of the God's plan. And that we also have to be looking out for that as well as the followers of Christ. We have to be looking out at the benefits of the diversity that we have been created with. And so this is the final sermon in the long series of sermons you've been hearing since January on the series called This I Believe, where we talk about the 
core pieces of our faith. And so today we're looking at the church, the body of Christ, and the diversity within that. And I think this is a perfect bookend to this series because this is the one that I think really challenges many of us as well when we look at this and what we truly believe what church is. And so let's take a look here at what Paul says. Let's break down this passage into two, two parts here and see what he's trying to tell the people in, in the church in Corinth and what they're trying to tell us today. So look at verses 12 through 14. This is what it says. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. See, Paul, he's pretty clever. He's using the human body, basically, as the illustration for the body of Christ. Okay, Because most of us know how the body works, right? You have hands, helps you to eat, work with tools, create things. You have eyes, helps you see. You have a nose that will help you smell. You have ears to help you hear. You got feet to help you walk around and move around. So you have a body, and we all know our bodies. And they have different parts with different jobs, okay? But yet, it's still one body, okay? It's a different parts of the body, but still one body. And so Paul uses this to drive home the fact that in the body of Christ, there are going to be many different members, but yet they're all baptized by the one spirit in their one body. You see, in his day and age, in Paul's day and age, you have to understand a little bit of the context because you have Jews who grew up you know, in the Jewish faith but then believed in the resurrection, okay? And so they believed that this, this Christ figure, this Messiah, was for them only. And then you have Gentiles or Greeks, as they're called, those that didn't grow up in the Jewish faith but then heard the story or saw Jesus and believed in the resurrection as well. And there's a little bit of a division in the early church between the two groups. And Paul reconciles that and says, no, there's no divisions. We're all one. While we all had different upbringings and different faith backgrounds coming up, but now as we accept Jesus Christ and what he did, we're all one. Diversity, but yet one body. And so he uses the body analogy here to drive home that fact. And he continues on. He elaborates on it in verses 15 through 20. He says, If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chooses. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. You know, in the kids' moments, they talk about how there's different parts of the body and there's different functions of the body. Earlier at the 8.30 service, they lifted up, you know, like, hey, it's church. You know, you got many different people in the church, but what if your church was just full of folks that, that only could sing? I wouldn't be in that church, I know, because I can't. But what if they only could sing? Well, that's great, but yet you're missing some other parts and other gifts that God has given people. You're missing out on those that could teach and preach or those that are great administrators that can structure committees and do all that great work or 
those with compassion that can go and deliver a meal and pay a visit to someone who's going through a tough time. You're missing out on the many other gifts that people have that, were, that come to the church, that are part of the church. So just like the body, we just can't be one nose. That's not, that's not a body. Okay? And there's other parts. How would you hear? How would you see? So the body of Christ is going to be made up of, of diverse people, diverse, diversity in gifts. That's how it was created to be. You know, I saw a statistic put out there by the Pew Research Center that kind of really just got my attention. And in that statistic, it said that by the year 2070, Christianity would be a minority religion in the United States if it continues on the path that it is on right now. A minority religion by 2070. That means in my kid's lifetime, if they still profess to be a Christian later in life, which I hope they will, they will be in the minority in this country if things continue on in the current path. And that really struck me. That in the church, something needs to change. And I know there's been many studies and many people who thought they had the right answer and the flashiest thing that can bring folks back. But yet, by 2070, it will be a minority religion in this country. And so it made me think about what are we missing? What do we need to do? How do we disciple these young folks to potentially be a minority religion, and how does that look? How do you grow the church in that type of environment? And so it got me thinking about this passage here. What Paul is talking about is that the body of Christ is not just one member, but many members. And I think we miss that. It's real easy for us to go and invite folks that we're comfortable with to come to church on Sunday mornings or come at least eat a meal on Wednesday nights. It's real easy for us to go out and tell folks that are you know, within our own circle of life about Christ or about what church we do go to. But I think it's harder for us to go outside our little bubble and our comfort zone and do that to others that may be different. It's harder. It's hard enough, I get it, to maybe even do that within your own circles. But it's easier than going outside your circle. You know, a church is not going to grow at all if all that churches do is just steal each other's church members or they just shift churches back and forth you know the church doesn't grow that way you've got to reach out to the unchurched to those that know Jesus and like Jesus but are skeptical of the followers of Jesus you got to show them that what they think the father of Jesus are they're wrong they could be compassionate people who accept others and their diversity and their gifts and invite them in at the table that's the followers of Jesus because that's what Jesus did. And then that's how you grow the church. That's how you prevent it from being a minority religion by 2070 in this country. Diversity is a gift. It gives the church strength when you have diverse people with diverse gifts in it. New ideas. The potential for growth. The potential for the good news to be spread. There's strength in diversity. And St. Matthew's is a strong church. I will say that. We do a lot of good. I mean, just an hour or so ago, we packed 250 blessing bags. And I hope that 250 of them go out in the next few weeks and we've got to pack more. 
We send mission teams to Honduras to help build homes and to do water treatment centers and provide medical care. We pack thousands of meals for Rise Against Hunger every August. We do a lot of good in this church. We do a lot of good, but there's more that we can do. There's more that we can do. And by being diverse and using people's gifts, it can make you a stronger church. You can have a bigger impact in the areas that you see that need compassion and love. You see, the church is even a place for the weird Waldos. And yes, I said Waldos, and I wanted to bring this up towards the end because I didn't want you to get distracted. But this cover image here, I love it. I'm going to give a shout out to Meredith, who's our communication director, who will read the passage. We'll come up with a, with a graphic that goes along with that passage every week. I don't have to tell her what to put. She's got it. And when I saw her come up with this one, I said, you know what? That looks like a Where's Waldo picture. That was, so, that was big for my childhood when those came out in the 80s and the 90s. Every book fair, I would get a new Where's Waldo book, and I'd just be looking to find that guy in his red and white striped shirt and scarf and glasses. And he looks kind of funny. So anyway... I said, Meredith, can you put Waldo in there? And she said, absolutely. So there's Waldo in there somewhere, okay? But when you look at it and you find Waldo, he is different. He doesn't look like everybody else. But yet, he is somebody special. And when you zoom out, and I love that image, when you zoom out from Waldo and you see everybody together in that image of the church, you see a strong church. And that's the body of Christ where everybody who is willing and wants to come can. And with that, there is strength in numbers. There is strength in diversity. And so what I want us to get from this as we are closing out this series, as we're getting ready for, for Lent and Ash Wednesday this week, may we evaluate ourselves and, and who we reach out to in our lives. Look around, and are we really utilizing the diversity and the gifts of everybody in this church? Is there room for more people? And if you think so, then we've got some work to do. We've got to get out of these walls, because the church is not a building. It's the community of people, the believers in the building. But we've got to get outside the building, and we've got to share the life-changing love and grace of Jesus. They need to get it from you and not a 30-second commercial at a Super Bowl ad. We're going to be the ones with our different gifts that God has given us and our diversity that will have others feel that love and grace and come and want to be part of this. So may we evaluate our lives. May we look at our church and find ways where we can reach out more and continue to bring in more folks. And that way we won't be a minority religion by 2070. May we do that. Let us pray.